What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Thursday to you. I am very excited to start our Tackling the Tough Questions series as we put a ribbon on previewing the 2020 season for the Buffalo Bills. And so as I outlined yesterday, what we're going to do to kind of preview the position groups across the Bills football team is ask you what the tough questions are. What's on your mind when it comes to that position group for the Buffalo Bills? Today is going to be all about the offensive line. I have some really good questions that were submitted. I have a lot of questions of my own that we're going to dig into today here on the podcast. So that's going to be our format here as we work through the position groups. Today's offensive line, tomorrow is tight ends. So if you have something that's on your mind regarding this tight end situation that the Buffalo Bills have for the 2020 season, send the questions in. You can do so by sending me an email, joe at thedraftnetwork.com. You can hit me up on Twitter. My handle is at the Joe Marino. You can shoot me a direct message or send me a tweet, or I will send out a tweet from the Lockdown Bills account at Lockdown Bills, and you can respond to that with your question. Before we dig into this offensive line situation, there were two newsy items that I have to address right here off the bat. First of all, Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver's charges have been completely dismissed, stemming from his arrest on May 16th in Montgomery County in Texas. He was arrested for DWI and unlawfully carrying a weapon. Uh, In a statement from his attorney, Gary Patterson, he said the charges against Ed Oliver are being dismissed by the district attorney in Montgomery County because of the lack of evidence. The blood results came back and they were totally negative. He had no drugs at all in his system, so everybody knows it's not the attorney that's getting him off. They had evidence. And on the weapons charge, it gets automatically dismissed because it's only illegal to have a pistol in your vehicle if you're intoxicated or if you get charged with another criminal act. So when the DWI is dismissed, it's not illegal to have a pistol with you. So in conclusion, Ed Oliver committed no crimes whatsoever. None. Everything's dismissed, and we don't have to worry about a suspension. But most importantly, he didn't do anything wrong. The man should have been left alone. And as I reflect on this from an analytical perspective, I give Ed Oliver a lot of credit for the way this was handled. He didn't do anything wrong, yet he was arrested on charges for DWI and unlawfully carrying a weapon. Kept his mouth shut. The truth comes out, and he's cleared. And now Ed Oliver's got some stuff to say. You check him out on Twitter. He's he's airing out some things that I don't blame him for whatsoever. I would be extremely upset if I was Ed Oliver and had to go through this ridiculous series of events, these ridiculous charges that were not true. Have this put on me, have people start to doubt me as a person, for something that is unfound. Absolutely ridiculous. Glad this can now be put behind us. And I give Ed Oliver a lot of credit for how he handled this situation. The second thing we got to talk about is this Tim Graham article that he put out uh, on The Athletic talking about Russell Wilson and the Bills. He said that 
Buddy Nix has come out and said that Russell Wilson was the Bills guy in 2012, but unfortunately they didn't draft him. They wanted to draft him in the fourth round. Instead, they traded up for TJ Graham in the third round. Six picks after they took TJ Graham, the Seahawks drafted Russell Wilson. This is ridiculous. If Russell Wilson's your guy, take him in the third round. Take him in the second round over Cordy Glenn. Heck, take him in the first round over Stephon Gilmore. If that's your guy, pick him. So I have really no idea why Buddy Nix decided to make this known at this point right now because he's telling on himself. He's saying, I screwed that up. This isn't something, you know, you should be open with. You, you take that to the grave. Think to yourself, man, I could have drafted Russell Wilson, but I didn't do that correctly. If you believe in a quarterback, go get your guy. Really embarrassing of Buddy Nix. And if you look across Buddy Nick's tenure with the Bills and what he did with the quarterback situation, he had three big whiffs, three big ones. Well, he told on himself by not drafting, quote-unquote, his guy in 2012, who was Russell Wilson. He also signed Ryan Fitzpatrick to a six-year, $59 million contract extension uh, after he had that hot start in 2011, but released him after the 2012 season. So you paid the wrong quarterback. You didn't draft the right quarterback in Russell Wilson, and then you missed again. You drafted EJ Manuel in the first round. Thanks, buddy. (laughs) talk about a bunch of whiffs at the quarterback position. And if I remember Buddy Nix's tenure as general manager correctly, he talked about the importance of getting the quarterback situation right. And man, oh man, did he fail miserably. Let's talk about this Buffalo Bills offensive line situation. Starting lineup, left tackle Deion Dawkins, left guard, Quinton Spain, center Mitch Morse, right guard John Feliciano, right tackle Cody Ford. That's what we think the starting lineup will be this year. And so first things first, I want to talk about just kind of the dynamics of this position group when it comes to salary and um, who's locked up and how much they're getting paid and when they come off the books because I think it's important as we start to really preview this position group and I, I take the time to answer your questions and you know bring up some of the questions that I have. Mitch Morse is the Bills' starting center. He's locked up through 2022 for three more seasons. Quentin Spain locked up at around $5 million for the next three seasons. Cody Ford locked up for between $1.7 and $2.3 million for the next three seasons. Those guys are set. Now, at left tackle, Deion Dawkins, the Bills' starter and team captain, is in the final year of his rookie deal. He's going to be paid $1.3 million this year, and then his contract expires if they don't come up with an extension. And then the other starter, John Feliciano, is under contract through this year at $4.4 million, but he comes off the books after this season. So the Bills have three starters that are signed through 2022, and the other two starters are signed through this season. And so that's something to keep in mind, right? Uh, In terms of the Bills cap space projected to have around $35 million. However, the cap is likely to go down next year and you've got Matt Milano to pay and it gets a little bit more challenging. 
So the Bills have to uh, make some decisions there with those two starters. When it comes to the primary backups, Ty Inseki, the backup swing tackle at right tackle and left tackle, he's getting paid $5.2 million this year, but his contract's up after the season. And then he's you know kind of a guy that's broke down a little bit in terms of injuries, a bigger guy, an aging type player. Not sure that he's going to be in the mix beyond this year. Spencer Long, the valuable interior offensive line swing guy. He can play guard and center. He is signed through this season, but the Bills again have a club option just like they did this year that they can exercise and bring him back for 2021. That's $4.35 million. They picked it up this year, but will they do it again after this season? That is up to them. Daryl Williams, who uh, was brought in, uh, the guy that could play tackle and guard on the right side, he signed through this season at $2.5 million, but you know only a one-year deal. Another key backup in my mind is Evan Bame, uh, can play guard and center. He signed through this season at 875000 And then the two guys that were rostered last year, Ike Botker, he signed through this year at 750000 He becomes a restricted free agent after the season. And then Ryan Bates, who they acquired in a trade with the Eagles, he signed through two, uh, 2021 at a very small number in terms of NFL salary, 675000 this year, 850000 next year, and then he becomes a restricted free agent in 2022. So there's a lot of good control when it comes to Ryan Bates, and there's a lot of good versatility that comes with him. He's a guy that can literally play all five positions up front. And so I think when we talk Bill's offensive line, that's your core group. And when you think about those, those three guys, Ford, Morse, Spain, signed through the next three years, but after that, a lot of the key players, a lot of the key depth, a lot of the key, um, the other two starters, right, in in, in uh, Feliciano and Dawkins, they're up after this year. So there's some long, long-term stability here, but there's also some short-term questions uh, that we'll need to be mindful of uh, in, in a unit that comes back with all nine of their primary guys from last year, plus adding two veterans in Evan Bame and Daryl Williams, but also the makeup of this room could look quite differently after this season. Let me get into your questions first, and then I'll get into my questions. Vin says, Joe, the Bills' starting offensive line is all set to return. If there is one player who is possible of losing a starting position, I'd argue that it's probably John Feliciano and then Quentin Spain. In your opinion, who do you think has the shortest leash? And if that player was replaced in the lineup, who takes his spot? I do think it is John Feliciano. And I don't expect John Feliciano to not have a good year. I thought he played well, all things considered, last year. Right, He had a rotator cuff injury all year long that we didn't even know about. And he played well. And I, I like the energy that he brings to the game. I like that he has a great relationship with Josh Allen. I think he's going to be a fine player, but if you told me there was one guy that had a short leash, it's probably him, and that's because I think the Bills have options at at right guard. Maybe that's kicking Cody Ford into right guard and starting Daryl Williams at right tackle or starting Ty Insecki at right tackle or platooning those two guys and having Cody Ford as your right guard if Cody Ford's not going to be the answer at right tackle. I do think he is the answer at right tackle, which we'll get to here in, in a few minutes, but... Uh, I, I do think that because there's some of those options that I've already outlined, in addition to Spencer Long, who the team likes and brought back, brought back, in addition to Evan Bame, a guy that uh, has started games in the NFL, I just feel like there's a lot of options there. I would disagree with you a bit on on Spain. I think the Bills are really happy with Spain. McDermott's talked about the way he prepares and how he grew last year, and then they paid him a, 
an extension for three more seasons. And so I, I do think that he's pretty set there at left guard. Um, but um, if you made me pick a, a second guy, I would say Cody Ford just because I think he was the lowest performing player on the offensive line, and they may take the time for him to sit back and uh, watch other players that are pretty established in the league in Ty Inseki and Daryl Williams um, and him kind of um, you know, learn from the sideline a little bit if he struggles. Again, I don't anticipate that happening, but when you talk about who has the shortest leash and who would be the replacements, that's where my mind goes. Jonesy says, hey, Joe, I have a question for the Thursday offensive line preview. I've only started listening for about two months, so you may have covered this one already. I found last year that the offensive line was letting Josh get pressured more than he probably should have been. With the same group, are you not concerned that they will not improve enough to give Josh the time that he needs for a big year? The continuity is awesome, but I'm sure we will see an improvement from Ford, but I'm also generally worried about the rest of the offensive line. I think this is a fair question. It's something I've talked about in spurts on the podcast over the last few months. But, you know, I do I do understand how you can say, okay, yeah, it's the same five guys. Really, it's the same nine guys. You know, why, why should I believe that it is going to be a better group this year? And I think there's a lot of reasons to believe that. First of all, it is the same group. It's five guys that are coming back that have worked together for a season, and they get to do it again. Under Bobby Johnson, who is entering his second year as the offensive line coach, so ingrained more in them should be the techniques and the teaching points that Bobby Johnson wants. And there's going to be more chemistry. So these guys, you know, offensive lines have to gel together. There's a lot of timing and communication that goes into those units, and that is going to be better next year. So from just that perspective, before we even talk about guys' skill levels in improving, I think that's reason to believe that. It will be better. Now, I also want to toss Josh Allen into this mix. Now, quarterbacks often get themselves in trouble. Josh Allen was responsible for quite a few of the sacks that he took last year because of holding onto the ball or not accounting for unaccounted for rushers. So Josh Allen's probably going to be better at that this year as he is now in his third year in the system behind that offensive line, right? I think he should be better at that. So there's another reason why. The next is that, you do have Cody Ford, who's going to be entering year two with, I think, a lot of promise in terms of who he can be this year. I think he should be a better player. John Feliciano, it was his first year starting in the NFL last year. Now he's in year two of a starting role, and he's going to be healthy. And Cody Ford and John Feliciano had some injuries that they dealt with last year. And for all the continuity that we talk about with the Bills offensive line and that it's coming back, this group didn't really start working together until the season started. They lost so much time in camp and OTAs in preseason because of injuries, right? Mitch Morse had a concussion that kept him out a ton in training camp and preseason. Spain had an injury that kept him out. And then you had Feliciano playing a bit of center. You had Spencer Long sprinkled in here. Cody Ford was transitioning between a couple of different spots. So while there was there is continuity with this group, it's not as much continuity as you think. So the starting point is a little bit different. I think all of that working together gives me hope that this offensive line is going to be better in 2020, despite it being the exact same cast of characters. Dave says, I think I'm on solid ground saying that the strength of the Bills offensive line runs from center left since both right side players had surgery immediately following the season. Am I wrong to think that health is a major point of improvement we might see from Ford and Feliciano. 
I agree with you. Um, I do think that's a very important point to bring up in this discussion is that two players in their first seasons ever as starters in the NFL, Cody Ford's first season ever in the NFL, they weren't healthy all the way through. Now, that's pretty normal, right? Guys get injured in the NFL. You got to play through injuries. But entering the year season, entering the next season healthy should help them hit the ground running in 2020. So I think that's a good point, and it's absolutely true. The strength of the Bills' offensive line is left guard, you know, left tackle, left guard, center. Not necessarily right guard and right tackle, but there's reasons to believe that those two guys on the right side can be better. And if not, there's there's depth. You like the depth that's there to challenge them, make sure that their pencils are sharp. And if not, get benched and play different players. Jack H says, can Cody Ford play like a pick as high as he is? I did a podcast on May 15th, and I the title of it is Why Cody Ford is Primed to Break Out in His Sophomore Season at Right Tackle. 28-minute podcast where I bring up a lot of different talking points as to why I absolutely believe that Cody Ford will be fine at right tackle and that he will play well. And um, I don't want to rehash that podcast because I put a lot into it and I answer that question as thoroughly as you can possibly answer it. But, um, you know, what it really comes down to is it's not just a, you know, this is a second-year player type thing. It's some very specific details about that that play into it that lead me to believe that he will absolutely be a player that performs like the high pick that he was. So I don't I don't mean to to dismiss this question, but I really just want to point people to that podcast because I get a lot of questions about Cody Ford. And um, you know, I don't expect everyone to listen to every single episode all the time, right? I, I totally understand that. I'm not naive. Um, but I, I really put a lot into that podcast and I think that pointing you to that and unpacking the answers that are baked into it will give people the perspective that I think everyone's looking for with Cody Ford. The next one or the last question that was submitted comes from Brad who says, I think the biggest question is who's going to play right tackle, Cody Ford, Ty Inseki, or will it be Daryl Williams? I think it's a fair question, right? Cody Ford, he he didn't play that well last year as a rookie. Ty Inseki platooned with him and has a little bit more of a proven pedigree in the NFL. And then, of course, Daryl Williams, a player that Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean are familiar with from their time in Carolina and had a really good season in 2017. Now, some people will tell you that he was a little overrated that year, but he you know, was highly decorated and was an all-pro. He wasn't bad. Maybe he wasn't as good as all-pro may indicate, but he wasn't a bad player. So I do think that you can look at those dynamics and think to yourself, well, you know, are we sure Cody Ford's going to be the guy? I do think that is the case. I think not only for all the reasons that I mentioned in that podcast on May 15th that I hope everyone goes back and listens to if they didn't already hear it, but also that you know Brandon Bean wanted Cody Ford. He traded up for Cody Ford. He, he evaluated Cody Ford and said, I want that guy to be my right tackle. Yeah, he signed Ty Psyche. Yeah, he signed Daryl Williams. But Cody Ford is, is a player that he really put his stamp on, and I think he's going to have every opportunity to prove that he isn't the right tackle, and I'll be honest with you, I think that we will be very happy with Cody Ford by the time the season's over. So 
these are the questions that I have. I've got a lot of questions that I wanted to get into uh, based on my own assessment of this position group. The first question I have is really sorting out the depth, right? I think I personally believe that the starting five is Dawkins, Spain, Morse, Feliciano, and Ford. I, I think that's going to be the group. The depth behind that is what fascinates me for a number of different reasons. First of all, the dynamics of the new CBA where you can dress more players and you have to have a certain number of offensive line dressed on game day. Well, that's going to, in my mind, create a scenario where the Bills are going to keep probably nine offensive linemen again. Well, what are their names? Ty Insecki, probably. Darrell Williams, probably. Spencer Long, probably. Evan Bain, I think so. A guy with versatility and experience. But what's odd about that is there's two more players that the Bills rostered last year all season long in Ryan Bates and Ike Bakker. Well, Ryan Bates is a valuable player because he can play all five spots in addition to having, uh, you know, the Bills have team control on him for the next two seasons, and then he's a restricted free agent after uh, 2021. And so you're not going to want to lose that control by, you know, waving him and putting him on the practice squad and, and messing with that type of situation. So, you know, is there enough appeal there because of his versatility and, and the value of his contract to keep him on the active roster and maybe not? create an opening for an Evan Bame or Spencer Long. Also, Ike Bakker, a guy that's been around, guy that's from Iowa, school that we've learned that Brandon Bean has a pretty soft spot for, has interior flexibility to play guard and center. You know, does he stick around? I think it's more likely that he's a practice squad player, but I'm pretty fascinated with the depth here and how it gets sorted out. And unfortunately, looks looks like we're not really going to get a preseason to – evaluate these guys in you know live game situations. So how does Bobby Johnson and Brian Dable and Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, how do they settle on which ones to keep and which ones not to keep? I think they may side with the veterans, but if you side with the veterans, that means that you're not siding with Daryl Williams. It means that you're not signing with Ike Bakker and Ryan Bates, who are economic players. And Ryan Bates, a player that you have control over and has a lot of versatility. I'm fascinated with this. I don't think I can answer the question. I'm telling you what my question is and something that I think is something to monitor because the Bills clearly uh, value depth at the offensive line, which I love. He's definitely corrected his failure to create a formidable offensive line for Josh Allen's rookie season. And uh, I have a feeling that Mr. Bean will make sure that this is the way things are regularly moving forward. The next question that I have for the Bills offensive line is, can Mitch Morse stay healthy again? That was kind of the big thing when Brandon Bean made Mitch Morse the highest paid center in NFL history. A lot of people talked about the injuries, right? He started 15 games in 2015 as a rookie. He started 16 games in 2016 in his second season, but then 2017, he only started seven games. 2018, he only started 11 games. He had a foot injury. He had an extensive history of concussions. And then, of course, he has a concussion in training camp, and it kept him on the sideline for so long. It wound up being okay. Mitch Morse went on to start all 16 games for the Bills, but that's not been the normal case for Mitch Morse in his career. So 
I know that we're all very high on the Bills strength and conditioning staff and the equipment and the wonderful training center that the Pagulas have made available to the football team, but is it going to be a new trend that Mitch Morris is consistently healthy? Now, I do feel good about the depth that the Bills have, right? You have Spencer Long who can snap. You have John Feliciano, Evan Bame, Ryan Bates, Ike Bakker. You've got a lot of guys, and you've got some quality guys there in that mix. But the team is going to be at its best when Mitch Morse is playing center. What he brings in terms of a leadership perspective, line calls, what he can do out in space, you know, his range is off the charts. He's outstanding in pass protection. I mean, probably the Bills' best offensive lineman. And he's one of the better centers in the league. They need that guy to be healthy. And I, I my question is, can he stay healthy again? The next question that I have is, can undrafted free agent Trey Adams make any noise? You know, this was a player that early in his career at Washington was – kind of pegged as the next big thing at offensive tackle in terms of prospects. Guy that many people thought was a rising first-round pick. And um, he was playing really well for his first couple years, and then he started to have some injuries. Had an ACL tear in 2017. He had a back injury in 2018. He had very poor tape in 2019. He started every game in 2019, which was really good for him to show that he could stay healthy, but the guy struggled. And then he tested so poorly at the NFL scouting combine. It's just not a lot of great momentum for where he is as a player. Can he get into the Bills organization and take advantage of the strength and conditioning staff and take advantage of all the wonderful resources at his disposal at the Bills training center and get back on track? If he can, then the Bills have a total steal. If not, then you'll be reminded as to why he was an undrafted free agent that struggled in his last year at Washington. So there's some reason to be optimistic. There's a lot of reasons to not put much emphasis or thought into him being a meaningful player, but it's a question that I have. You know, when I think about the depth of this offensive line, I went through it. I like the depth a ton. You know, does it get even more interesting when you factor Trey Adams into the mix and can the guy make any noise? That's one of my biggest questions that I'm anxious to find out the answer to. Uh, here in the coming weeks. Now, again, a, a player that unfortunately is not going to get the preseason to show that he can play. And Leps, reps will probably be limited given you have a very short window to get your starters and key backups ready for a season. So, you know, the, de- the, the deck is absolutely stacked against him. So what can he do with his opportunity? The next thing that I have written down is Deion Dawkins and John Feliciano and a contract year. Deion Dawkins, right? Big time bounce back year. Really good rookie season. Took a step back in 2018. And I I, I think Deion's probably responsible for a good bit of that. But I also think that the entire dynamic of the offensive line with so many poor pieces around him that led to his struggles. Then he changes his diet, becomes a big time leader on the team. He gets a C on his jersey. And now he's entering a contract year. Well, you're probably going to get the best version of Deion Dawkins, right? I mean, he's got a lot of momentum and he's got a lot of incentive to play well. You know, if he plays well again, he's going to get a contract that's going to pay him 
I would think no less than $14, $15 million a season. That's what's at stake for Deion Dawkins. So you, you get excited about the player that you have now, but you know what are the dynamics of bringing him back? I talked about that a bit yesterday on the podcast. John Feliciano, you got to think this guy is really looking to probably take advantage of his real chance to get paid, right? He comes over from the Raiders as primarily a backup type player, not necessarily a big time salary, but if he puts together a good year, he's going to be positioned to get paid, you know, the best amount of uh, the best money of his career. So I think you do have this stage that is set for Feliciano and Dawkins to be, you know, be in career years, right? Give you their best output. What about beyond this year? I think there's some questions to be answered there, and I don't know that I have a lot of answers when I look at the Bills' offensive line and the depth right now, right? I mean, I like the depth, but do you feel like you have long-term replacements for either one in the roster? I don't. So, you know, how do you manage that situation? Um, And obviously they're important for the Bills and their success this year. Last question that I put down is Spencer Long and that club option. Talked about it briefly at the beginning. The Bills – signed Spencer Long to a three-year deal, but it was essentially a one-year deal that allowed the Bills a club option for this year, which they picked up, and Spencer Long's on the team, and then they get to do the same again next year. So is it a situation where you think he can be the successor to Feliciano at right guard if John Feliciano you know, walks and signs a deal somewhere else? Do you think he's that important of an interior backup with his versatility that you want him back on that amount of money? You know, you know over $4 million to be your backup? You know, where does he kind of fit into this, right? And and what does he do this year to show that he's important? Now, I would love to not see Spencer Long play football at all this year, right? You just get these starting five, they play great, everyone's healthy, and you uh forget about how good the depth is because you don't need it. But How do you handle this club option with a salary cap that, you know, I've had some sources tell me could be around $170 million next year. That would be a big reduction. They're saying maybe 30% reduction. How is that all handled? And that has a big implication on this position group where I've already outlined. It's not just Spencer Long in a club option. It's John Feliciano. It's Deion Dawkins. And it's a lot of the key backups and Daryl Williams and Evan Bame and Ty and Secchi, uh, and you know it's it's a it's a handsome list of players uh, that uh, the Bills are going to have to make decisions on in the very new, near future, and and the opportunity to evaluate these guys. Not a traditional year, no, not at all. So uh, y- you love that the top nine returned from last year, and then you add to it rostered players and Evan Bame and Daryl Williams. The Bills have eleven offensive linemen on their team that were rostered last year in the NFL. You have to love that. And I have a lot of reason to believe that the starting five will be even better next year, despite it being the same cast of characters. I think the Bills in totality have at least an average offensive line with the, with the upside to become an above-average offensive line. And you add in the depth component, and uh, you feel really good about what you have up front for Josh Allen and obviously for all of the skill players as the Bills are 
gearing up to get a lot of young players involved and Devin Singletary and Zach Moss and, and Dawson Knox. And then, you know, obviously the veterans at receiver. So the, uh, the bills offense, we're all excited about it, but, uh, you know, it's still about blocking. It's still about guys up front and, um, them doing their job so that you can execute and give Josh Allen his best opportunity, uh, to succeed. And obviously all the, the playmakers that we're very excited about. So there you have it. We've, tackled the tough questions when it comes to the Bills offensive line. I hope you enjoyed this. I'm looking forward to talking tight ends tomorrow. So if you have questions about the tight ends, like I said at the opening of the show, hit me up. Send me an email, joe at thedraftnetwork.com. Hit me up on Twitter, at the Joe Marino. You can DM me or you can send me a tweet. But I want your questions about this tight end group, and I want to dig into it, and I want to talk about it the way that we talked about this offensive line group today and really set the stage uh, for the season as uh, – Preview mode is thick right now, but it's also soon to be in the rearview mirror as we get closer to the start of the season. So send me those questions. As always, I do kindly ask that you share, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, and I look forward to talking tight ends with you tomorrow.